We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. All right. Welcome, everybody. I am Jethro Jones, and I'm excited to be hosting some office hours with uh, Tom Murray. And so I thought we could just start out by telling a little bit about ourselves um, I am a principal in Fairbanks, Alaska, and I've uh, been a principal for nine years and worked at the district level and uh, English teacher at middle and high school before that, and always been a big fan of learning and trying to adapt and do things differently, um, and excited to be here and chatting with you guys. Tom, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, what's up, everybody? Tom Murray here. So in my day job, I run something called Future Ready Schools nationally, a bipartisan nonprofit. We raise a lot of money each year to be able to do what we do for free. So I love that. I get to work with thousands of school and district leaders. Um, and in the Future Ready work, you know, we do a lot of events, institutes, those kinds of things with zero sales pitch. So I, I love that because I spent my, the first part of my career on the other side of that. Um, I taught elementary school. I taught middle school. I was a middle school principal. I was an elementary principal. Then I went over to district office. I oversaw high school programs. There was also a tech director. So I actually um, helped run and create a full-time virtual remote program for um, three years prior to leaving and had a virtual school K-12 in our public school in Pennsylvania uh, for all kids. So obviously couldn't keep a job after all that. So now I work out of Washington, D.C. Makes total sense, right? So in my current job, I'll, um, I'll work a little bit of the policy side. So part of it's working with the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Congress uh, in a bipartisan way, if you can believe anything's bipartisan today, um, to support education. So whether it's looking at things like learning loss, use of bailout funds, um, connectivity, working alongside the FCC on some of the connectivity and homework gap stuff. So it's really all across the board, but by far the favorite thing that I do now is connect with school and district leaders um, across the country, because no matter where I go, there's amazing, amazing people. So Jethro, back over to you. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you today. Uh, last week we did this and I recorded it and put it on my podcast, Transformative Principle. And um, we're going to record this one as well. And it's going to come out on Transformative Principle later today also, so that you can um, have an opportunity to share it with others if you, um, if they weren't able to make it. Um, so we're going to go to our first question, which is from Byron. Uh, 
And so he is a high school principal and he asks, if you were sitting in on a planning session with a high school leadership team, what would you advise they focus on for next year? And we're gonna change that a little bit to say, what would you advise any uh, building leadership team to focus on for next year? Well, right now there's still so much that's unknown. Yeah, so I, I love the question. I would actually preface with all of this is, is before I even answer um, some of my thoughts, a couple pieces. One is thank you for the work that you're doing every single day. We've got people from so many different states already just in this conversation. And I simply want to just pause to say thanks because I know your worlds have been turned upside down. I know it's been chaos on so many levels. I know your comfort zones, regardless of your positions, have been pushed uh, like all of ours have. So just a, a simple thanks on my end and just a recognition that educators are amazing, amazing people. And so, you know, give me another industry that's been completely flipped upside down and had to totally transform what they did really overnight. And so that's kudos to you and the people that you are. And, you know, here you are tuning into office hours. It just shows your heart and it shows the, the type people you are. So before I dive into that question, I simply wanted to say that. The other piece that I, I want to say here is, you know, I know I do some work nationally and those kinds of things, but I want to say right up front, like I don't have all the answers. Like you guys have decades of experience in this chat and the people that are here, which is far more experience than I've had. So I don't come at it from like, here's your answer. Um, my hope is to come at it through humility to maybe give some ideas or some thoughts or just some things to think about because I fully recognize like you're working hard. Every state has its different is right now different districts are in different places so there's no one size fits all with any of this so hopefully in the next 30 minutes or so some of my ramblings make sense or give you some <laughs> things to think about or maybe some resources that come off the bat there too so getting to Byron's question and thanks for tuning in here live Byron I think it's an awesome question just on the on the, on the surface because of this you're you guys are working so hard in like problem solving and putting out the fires today and tomorrow and thinking about you know how do we feed kids today how do we and I know we've been working on that for four five six weeks depending on where you live but you're putting out so many fires right now because of all these pieces to be thinking towards September is is obviously kudos to your leadership in that regard because I really really believe big picture um, just especially our district leaders are it's got to be on your radar right now of what happens in the fall if we go back number one choice a we go back and it's kind of back to normal in that sense i think the chances of that in my opinion are minimal but theoretically if it's a feasibility what could that look like do we all of a sudden start pulling the hot spots away that we've given to kids because we recognize they didn't have the access and now we're saying now that we're back like just kidding all those equity things that we're focused mm -hmm. on and putting in place do they change now or B, is it some sort of mixed schedule? What my gut is, as we'll see, and again, you never know, the news changes tomorrow. Is it some sort of staggered schedule, A, B schedule? You have half your population come one day, half your population come the next, or half in the morning, half in the afternoon. And there's so many issues with that, obviously. Um, and we can dive into so many of those pieces. Like having been the middle school principal that does the schedule for 1,200 kids in a middle school, like I understand, but when we look at schedule B and we look at an example of like that, what happens in your state? And I know Modesto, California, I know you're in here, you're governor two weeks ago. You know, what happens when we start to think about like, what if you can't have 500 kids in a lunchroom simultaneously? What does that even look like? And I'm not saying I've got any easy answers here, but it's the kind of things we've got to be thinking about. And then part three, there's a, there's a chance, and I'd say there's probably a decent chance that we don't start in August or September. Um, and I know states, again, are all over the board. California, again, has been saying, like, maybe we move it up to July. Maybe we start earlier and gives us flexibility. There's so many facets and things that, that come along with that. But to go to Byron's questions, what do I focus on right now? 
um, people. So it's looking at, if I'm focusing on, how do we keep our most marginalized groups? How do we keep our special ed population? How do we keep those that are, are highest on our radars in terms of those that we're worried about the most? How do we continue to prioritize them? One of the things here, like right now, I want you to process every person, and maybe it's a bad assumption on my end, every person in this conversation has probably, if you're an educator in this conversation, has probably gotten a paycheck in the last couple of weeks. Yet we're serving many families that can't say that. And so my challenge to us right now is empathy and leading with empathy is gotta be at the core of what we do because maybe we haven't necessarily been worried about paying our bills, but how many of us, and, and, I, and I say that, please understand, I, I say that uh, with grace and empathy in saying that, but knowing many of our communities, that is just not the case. And so it's leading with empathy. So when I think about a leadership team, and, and I'm working with many of them virtually right now to be able to support, how do we keep our, our, our mindset hyper-focused on our kids? How do we provide the ongoing support that our, that our teachers need? Because right now, when I look at it, like, you know that I joked, I think it might've even been the last office hours. Like, you know, your colleague on staff that like struggles to make the double-sided copy with the staple, like, how do we support that person? And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but every staff has those folks that aren't very comfortable with technology or those kinds of things. And I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory sense. How do we support them to make sure that their students don't just have this poor experience because of their own technical skills and ability? The other thing that I would say continuing to focus on is how are you building culture in this environment? This environment can really, I really think we're going to see schools go in multiple directions. I think we will see some schools, and I'm seeing it already, truly, that will really bind together like even never before because they've had each other's backs and they're checking in with each other. And as leadership teams, they're calling their departments or zooming with their departments and start simply asking things like, how you doing? What do you need and what can I help you with? And focusing on the humanistic side, that when things eventually someday down the road get back to normal and we have that opportunity, I think the love and care and concern and the connections we've had at a time of crisis will pull people together. But if I'm real and honest, like I always try and be, I also think we'll see the flip side to that where it's been like, I, I feel like I haven't gotten any support and things we've been mm -hmm. so isolated that going back would almost be difficult in that environment. There's going to be a lot of tensions, a lot of things there. So I'd focus first and foremost on people and that should always be our focus really. But how do we keep building culture to support our staff to do what we're doing? How do we recognize those staff that are at home trying to teach all day, have their own children at home? I've got two kids at home. I have a fourth grader and I have a kindergartner. My fourth grader, she's uber independent. She's going, she's doing her stuff. She'll ask questions occasionally. But I'll tell you, like, yeah, she, at this point, like, we're proud of where she is. But I've got a kindergartner. And if it's not my wife or I sitting side by side, it doesn't happen. It doesn't get done. Like, he needs that one-on-one -on -one support. And so I think there's also differences in levels when we think about these pieces. And how do we support those teachers that are teaching a K or one? Going back to my experience um, and having run a full-time virtual school for those three years, I will tell you, like, give yourself grace and as a leadership team, give ourselves grace to, to make the assumptions that people are doing the best that they can. Yes, we have to have tough conversations if people aren't doing what they need to do, but I would also handle those as always with kind of with that grace. When I think about uh, teaching kindergarten, teaching first grade, those things right now are so difficult, even more so magnified, because when we look at just the independence level, it's a little bit different. And I'm not saying your high school folks is, isn't hard. I'm not saying that at all, because um, a lot of times for them, it's sheer volume. They might have 150 kids, 130 kids, whatever it might be. But at least those kids can be a little bit more um, independent in that regard. <clears throat> Going back, Byron, to your question, 
focus on people, continue to focus on culture, continue to make sure that our most marginalized groups or those that are most on our radar are staying the priority. Um, you know, how are you connect? How are we looking at those students right now that still don't have connectivity? You know, one of the things we've been preaching for, for five years um, at Future Ready is around the equity gap and the homework gap. It's part of what we work with the FCC on. And when we look at that, how are we handling kids that still don't have connectivity or they can check the box and say, yes, I have a device. Yes, I have connectivity at home. But it's a different conversation if you're trying to do four kids, four devices, four live Zoom meetings. Maybe then you don't have the bandwidth or the capability. How are we supporting those students? Especially as we look towards the fall, what would happen there if we've got to start virtually again? We can't keep saying like, well, we, we can't do it. So what do those things look like in place to make sure we're focused on their people? My ultimate goal would be every kid every day in some capacity, um, some sort of connection. But again, I know if I'm high school and I have 150 kids, no, a high school teacher cannot make 150 phone calls a day. Like that's egregious. It's not going to happen. And so continue to focus on people, continue to focus on the human side, continue to prioritize those, especially around trauma, uh, SEL side of things, uh, uber, uber important. Jethro, what would you add? Yeah, you know, I think focusing on people is really important and focusing on those that are the most disadvantaged um, or that we're already very much aware of. Um, you know, a, a family that is like my family that is highly educated and successful and all that kind of stuff, like my kids don't need a lot of attention. I don't want my kids' teachers wasting their time trying to do stuff for my kids when I know that their classmates have much higher needs than my kids do. My daughter with Down syndrome, she needs a lot more support. She should be getting that support and we shouldn't be wasting energy on other kids. That's messed up. That's not what I mean, you know, <laughs> but we got to focus on those who really need the help and know them well enough to do that. And so the other thing that I'd say is right now is a really good time to develop the vision for your school. What does your vision for your school actually look like? And it can't just be that this is a place where people come and get educated. It's got to be more than that because you've got to extend outside of your school walls now. And so figuring out what your, what your vision is for your school and what you're going to do so that it doesn't matter whether you're in person or virtual, you're still meeting those goals. So for example, when I was a teacher many years ago, um, I, I had this practice where when a kid was absent, I would say, go to my website, which is jethrojones.com slash FHMS for Fort Harriman Middle School. And on that page, they would find the assignments and they would be able to do everything they needed to do if they were not there in class. So traditionally, you know, teachers in my school had a little crate with folders and they went through and, and found, you know, the, the day they were absent and they got out the work and did it there. Well, what I did is I just put it online because honestly, that was easier for me to do. And so my goal was that any kid who wasn't there could do the work as if they were there in school that day. We had a lot of kids who'd go out for hunting, who'd go on family vacations, and, and so they'd miss a lot of school. I wanted them to be confident that they could still get what they needed. Now, that was a long time ago. Things were a little bit different. And, and so you got to pay attention to what your kids actually need. So uh, Preeti Ahuja, or I apologize if I messed up your name, said, is there a mismatch between what we think students need and what they actually need from us? What do they need right now from schools and teachers? And I think that this is really important. Your role as a leader in your school 
is to be able to do your best to find out what families need and give that to them. And so that means you got to know them, you got to connect with them, you got to work with them and try to figure out what it is that they need. And honestly, I think that it's okay to say, it sounds like things are going pretty good at your home. We're going to step back and you need anything, you let us know, but we're not going to push a bunch of stuff on you because we, we, we perceive that you don't need that. Is that an accurate assumption? And actually asking those questions, you know, right now, a lot of schools are putting together all this work and trying to get kids to continue to learn. And some families are loving it. Some families are hating it. And you got to connect with those families and see where they're at and what really matters. So those would be the things that I would add. If you have a good vision for your school of how we're going to help kids learn, then it can, that vision can still happen regardless of what the circumstances are, whether you're emergency learning or remote learning or virtual learning or in-person learning. Those would be my two thoughts. Yeah. So I love that question that was just asked. Is there a mismatch between what we think students need and what they actually need from us? And I would say, yeah, I think that happens all the time. You know, I think there's certainly times where like, obviously we're the trained professionals, we're the educators. There's things that people don't realize that they need yet, especially if you're talking about a teenager, like they think they've got the world figured out, but we know like there's a lot of life that they need to learn. There's certain things in that regard that we'll know that they won't. But I think sometimes we don't give kids enough. And I'm talking about myself when I say this, like that I didn't give kids enough credit for what they were capable. And I think sometimes it was my, my own limits and my mindset that limited what kids were possible of. And so I will own that and say, yeah, you know, a lot of the, I do some work around like things like learning spaces. Like, let me just give you an everyday example. How many times do we talk about things like learning spaces and redesigning learning spaces or even heck just the learning experience. And we try and design and create all well-intended our hearts are in the right place but the people that we're trying to do it for, we don't even ask them to weigh in, right? And so like right now is an opportunity, and Jethro, you started to say this, like as we start thinking about the fall or going back to Byron's question about a leadership team, if we're not asking parents and we're not asking kids, we're missing an opportunity. And so I'll give you a great example. My daughter's, my, I'm sorry, my son's kindergarten teacher um, two weeks ago, and kudos to my kids' teachers, they're doing an amazing job. They're trying their hearts out. But she had an opportunity for parents. She put it all out. She gave about a week's notice. She said, hey, next Tuesday night at six o'clock for anybody that wants to hop on, I'm gonna do a virtual Zoom. Anybody else that wants to hop in can. This is really for parents only. It's not meant for kids. And I simply wanna just talk around what's working well for you What's not working at all that you're like, I wish she would stop doing X, Y, or Z. And what else would you want to know? And simply, I'll tell you what, number one, kudos to her because that puts her in a vulnerable position. And my wife was kind of the one on it, but I'm listening in the background and I'm hearing like, you know, I'm hearing a couple parents saying like, we just can't do this. Like we're working all day. Like we can't sit with our kindergartner all day because our jobs are making us work all day. Like we don't know how to do this. And putting her in a spot of some parents and saying like, I think you're giving too much. And somebody else, well, we think you're giving too little, you know? And it was, it opened her up vulnerably. She's an amazing professional and it was a great conversation. And Nobody, I, nobody, if it came across like anybody was attacking her, that wasn't the case. Um, but what it, she was doing was getting feedback and saying like, tell me, you know, are, are the, the way the assignments listed, like even down to the basics of procedural stuff of like, is there anything I could do to make this more clear for the coming week? You know, I'm trying to chunk it a week at a time, but giving you try to do this on Monday, try and do this on Tuesday, but giving grace and flexibility when it comes to that. But if we don't ask parents and if we don't ask kids, especially like, what are the things that we're doing right now? I saw another question come in because I think it can relate here as well about um, 
It was like, if we have to start virtual, what are ways to build relationships digitally? Um, yeah. And I would say it's, it's, first of all, it's doing everything that we can, but maybe we don't have to, um, maybe we don't have to, even if it's a, a virtual realm moving forward, maybe we don't have to for every child um, start virtually 100%. Here's what I mean by that. So when I was an elementary principal, one of the things that we did, and I don't take any credit for this idea, this was the principal before me started it, but if when people ask me, what do you think is the best thing that happened as a principal when they were starting a new principal, what should you do? So I would do doorstop visits for every kindergartner before they came to our school, where I would bring a book, I'd bring swag, I would never go in, I would knock on the door, I gave parents a rough idea. So I would say if it's possible for those kids that weren't connected to your school at all in any capacity to do something like that partially in the summer invite staff if they want we used to do it as a principal knock on the door you back up five or ten feet so you're not near them in that regard because if that can create that first impression in that regard if something like that is remotely feasible i would do something like that because it shows wow like they're completely going out of their way I get, obviously, you know, if you're new to the position and everything's brand new, obviously, like numbers wise and hours wise, there is only so much you can do in that regard. But I would say like as much virtual thing. So let me give you another scenario just as my dad hat is on. So my little boy left on a Friday for kindergarten. He's moving elementary schools next year because we're getting redistricted. So he left on a Friday for his kindergarten teacher, having no idea he wouldn't be back this year. He's not even going back to his building again. And so he's going to another building. And so that principal of that other building has already reached out because we're redistricting as a district and they're doing virtual lunch bunches. And they're saying like in that scenario, all the new first graders for this building, we're going to do a virtual lunch. And I'm sure with a whole bunch of six and seven year olds in the zoom, it'll be a little bit chaotic, but what's their purpose? It's not massive instructional time at all. It's we want to connect. We want to show you care about you to give you a little bit of a preview of school, like that kind of thing there. So my answer would be, do everything that we can, anything that we can do, even like handwritten notes home. If I'm a teacher, I've got 25 kids and I've got to do it virtually. If I can start pumping out maybe even a handwritten note home, a Zoom, a one-on-one -on -one Zoom. Hey parents, I want to do, you know, before I get to know um, your kids this year, I'd love to do sign up for a time in August, 15 minutes. You and, and now again, if you're a high school English teacher and you've got 150 people, may not be feasible, but maybe you do even things like this. I want to do some of the intro stuff and you could even do it virtually. We've always got it though. I will always follow that up with for kids that can't connect. How do we make sure that they stay just as connected the best way that we can in anything that I just listed? If they don't have internet at home or they live in such a remote area that you can't just hand them a hotspot to be able to do that. Jeff, yeah. throw other thoughts? Well, let me just add to the power of visiting kids at home. Um, when I was in Kodiak, Alaska as a principal, we had a student who moved there uh, from uh, Florida and did not have housing in the Coast Guard base yet. And we knew that he was waiting for housing, knew that he was staying in an Airstream. So we went to his Airstream in the campground and welcomed him. And let me tell you that mom and that kid, once we did that, we could do no wrong in their eyes because we showed them individually that they mattered to us. And it was worth the time, effort and experience to do that because when people feel that way, they love it. They feel supported and loved. And so in my answer to that question, I was talking about um, doing, avoiding mass communication as much as possible and getting as personal with each person as you can. Because when you do that, you show that you, they matter enough for you to spend the time to, um, to be there with them. And that, that goes a really long way in, in all, in everything with everybody. So 
it's it's super powerful to um, to do that and and it really does work. Uh, going back a little bit to what you said before, though, Tom, you were talking about um, you know ha- making personal connections with them and different ways that you can can set these things up when when there's um, when there's a mismatch. And I think one of the other things is uh, getting that student feedback. This is a great time for you to create individualized learning plans for kids where they are the ones with the family saying, this is what we are capable and able to do and making those plans so that instead of you saying, well, here's all the things that we have to do, this big, huge list and we got to get through it and everybody's going to go the same way. You say, here are the things that we'd like to do this year in school. What are the things that you and your family are capable and willing to do and how can we help you get there? And Making an individualized plan, I mean, it's not easy. It takes time and energy, but it's definitely possible. And it makes a huge impact on the kids too. When they, when the families feel like they have the support to do what they're able to do and not what you may have an expectation that they're just not going to be able to meet. Yeah, so I threw in the chat, um, and for those of you that are just listening online, um, a URL that I've helped curate with about a 1,000 educators. If you go to bit.ly, it's slash tools for engagement, the T, the F, and the E are caps, and everything else is lowercase. Again, bit.ly slash tools for engagement. If you don't type the T, the F, and the E as caps, you won't see it. Um, And I share that because anybody that's listening to this or um, the few dozen people that are here live, what I would encourage you to do, check that out, and you are more than welcome to make a copy of that document and do whatever you want with it. Um, it's, it's, I've worked with about a thousand educators to curate that document. And the reason I share it is this, um, there's about 350 digital tools on there to support the teaching and learning side. They're not all like deep level learning tools, but some of it's more management stuff. If you're a high school teacher, some of it will be totally irrelevant because it's elementary and vice versa. The reason I share that is I, one of the things that I realized in just kind of talking off the cuff here related to some of those questions, everything on the relationship builders that I talked about was teacher to student which means that I'm completely missing in the conversation student to student connections. And that's such a challenge virtually. But even yesterday, going back to fourth grade, my daughter's teacher, and again, I I put my dad hat on when I think about like, what is it that my daughter can't stop talking about? What is it that my son, and again, that's maybe their preferences, but they had a simple show and tell yesterday for 35 minutes, one of their Zooms or whatever it was, an hour, somewhere in there, every cut, the teacher put it out there. And it was simply this like, here they are and it's it's almost may and it's a simple show and tell like my daughter talked about it for the three days leading up like i can't wait i can't wait so how do we also prioritize those kinds of things to show who you matter you know who you are matters the most in that regard but how do we foster some of those side-by-side interactions so maybe it's using something like a flip grid where all kids have the opportunity to respond to certain prompts. Of course, it's gotta be age appropriate, but for kids to be able to go back and forth, for kids to be able to build some of those relationships. Because as we talk about those things virtually, it certainly is harder virtually, which means we gotta be more intentional about it. What I would hate to see in the fall is we start fully virtually and like day one is all about content. Let's jump right in and fill this information out. Um, One of the things that I know a lot of districts are really starting to look at is as they look at next year, do you start next year where you ended this year? And I'm not talking like content and those kinds of things. If you started, if you were in third grade, do you start with those third grade teachers on some end and then stay there for a week or something like whatever it is, just for some sense of familiarity or even some sense of closure in some senses. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, I get it. That doesn't work on a lot of levels. Like obviously like 
nobody had kindergarten last year. Seniors are no longer with us, right? Um, kids that have moved, kids that have come in. But like, how do you maintain some sort of consistency um, for our kids? One of the things my daughter's teacher has been doing is she kept the reap allowed going that when the day stopped on that follow, when we started to go virtual, she kept doing a read aloud so that sends a file that the kids then get to listen to just like it was. And it really came down to, she wanted to say to kids, number one, like obviously emphasize the literacy part, but of course it was for, for our kids, it was really just something that was consistent for them when the world around them was completely inconsistent from everything that they've always known. So lots to think about there, but continuing to focus on loving and caring about kids and relationships. I don't care if it's virtual or face-to-face -face, will always be more important. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings up the next question, um, which is how are you managing fears and anxieties around fall planning? Um, because we truly are, are dealing with a great unknown. You know, traditionally school starts on the first day of school and, you know, we have processes and systems in place to manage all that. And nobody knows right now if that's going to happen or not. And we can all hope that it does, but, you know, the reality is, is we're not sure yet. So how do you, how do you manage fears and anxieties around the fall planning? You gotta hit it head on. I mean, literally right after we finish this, I'm meeting with a district team to answer that exact question of what does the fall look like? What are our options? And let's get ahead of it before the state tells us what we have to do. Let's present them with plans that are better than what they could come up with as essentially not educators at times. So you've got to, first of all, you've got to hit it head on. Um, and what I mean by that is we've got to be thinking about those what ifs. Now, depending on what your positions are, you know, if I'm a teacher and I'm thinking about like, what, what does it look like? The question we just wrestled with, how do you build relationships virtually? Like what you can do right now is also directly relational to what you could do in the fall if it's a new group of kids. But I think the, from a more of a principal end or a district end, as you're thinking more systemically around things like schedules and those kinds of things, um, or, you know, obviously communicating it to me, it comes down to how do you build trust in this environment? fear and trust, in my opinion, have a direct correlation. So how do we, if I looked at that question and said, how do we build trust in the midst of this? It's still the relational piece. It's being transparent. And it's saying to families through amazing communication that's nonstop from every direction, be real. And so I don't want to be political on this on, on any sense, but like watch any out of DC presidential news conference on the coronavirus right now. And you'll have like half the population saying like, oh, that's amazing. The other half of the population being like, I don't believe a word he says. Because like half the population, there's a trust issue there, right? And I don't mean that in any sort of political sense. I'm hoping anybody on either side of the aisle can agree with that. And so what I mean with that is how do we build trust to mitigate the fear? Like we're not going to be able to, to mitigate the full societal fear around like I've got relatives dying. Like, but when we've got relationships and people to talk about talk to and confide in when we get the those kids that have struggled with trauma like and then they would come to us and we were that safe place and now they can't come to us how do we keep the SEL at the, at the focus there but going back it's being transparent so superintendents and principals you got to be real like don't sugarcoat it and being like oh everything's gonna be fine because then when it's not then we're in a, a, a spot we can't even recover from, I think, in that regard. So be, be transparent, build trust, communicate really, really well. And that's both internally and externally. And so part of it's that part with the staff and leveraging, like getting the voices of our staff and our students internally to help those. But then how do we do that externally there as well? And how are we communicating? And not looking at it as like next fall, we're going to just have to start fresh. How can we do things now? 
So our families trust us even that much more so in the fall. And again, it's trust building and it's communication in that regard. So um, I think so much really comes back to that when we think about it, but you got to be transparent, you got to be honest, and you got to be real, of course, for the different levels. And that's even real for kids too. You know, yesterday, my little boy at six years old was like, daddy, like, when will I ever be able to go back to a school again? And you know, like, you've got to be honest and real, but like little six-year-olds are processing this very differently, or sometimes maybe the same as like our seniors. And so the way we would address it to our seniors, you know, when you think about some of those fears, you think about like, you know, if I'm a junior in high school looking towards next year as a senior year, you know, right now they're wondering like, man, I just watched my friends that were the class above me not be able to walk at a graduation, not have a prom, not have a, what about me? Is the same thing going to happen to me? And so we've got to be real. We've got to be transparent. We've got to build trust. But I would also say, think outside of the box. Like I love seeing districts right now, even though they're the original, like we're not going to be able to do graduation in a traditional sense. I guarantee you in the next two months, you see some of the coolest things come out of districts that you've ever seen on the way they're doing something around maybe it's not graduation as normal but maybe it's spotlighting seniors for hours at a time blasting it to the community or whatever it might be that we can still glorify our kids and give them the attention and the recognition that they deserve even if it's not your traditional pomp and circumstance with all these people in some sort of audience at one time it's also recognizing that fear is real and fear is very paralyzing you know fear in the words of zig ziglar can be forget everything and run but it can also be face everything and rise. And when we look at those two kind of acronyms, what I know about the best educators in the world is they face everything and rise literally every day. And so kind of going back to where I started earlier is like acknowledging that fear is real. I would also say as educators going to that question, let me hit one more piece is um, in my last book, Personal and Authentic, I connected fear and trust as well as um, self-care with trust. And so I would say part of navigating fear is making sure you take care of yourself in the process. Like we all know those moments in time that we are not at our best. And if we're trying to make really big decisions when we haven't slept or trying to make big decisions when we're not in a good place, it's much harder to do. And we don't have the clarity that we could have. So part of it is how are you taking care of yourselves as educators? You know, I know as educators, you're the kind of people that you go and you go and you go and you give until you've got nothing left. But that doesn't mean you run over yourself in the process. And so I think part of navigating fear is like get off your darn phone, get off the internet at times and disconnect and go hang out with a family member, call grandma, do what you've got to do. And I think it's managing all the things that you hear. If all you did was check the news right now, yeah, like you just be constantly fearful to even get out of bed. But if you haven't looked at the news in the past two weeks and every day you've been talking to grandma, talking to your uncle, talking to people you have, whatever the case might be, I guarantee your fear and anxiety levels are a little bit lower. And so I think taking care of yourself in the process is a really, really important point there as well. Yeah. And I would also add to that, you know, acknowledging and saying, yes, I'm scared too, um, is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of humanity. And that's how you build trust. That's how you build rapport. That's how you help people know that it's safe to talk with you. And, you know, I, we don't know what the future holds and it could, could be something that none of us are prepared for. And it's okay to say, I don't know what that looks like. And that scares me. And maybe that actually excites you. Like, I don't know what school looks like in the future, but I'm excited that one, we gave up on state tests this year. Like that's a huge step in the right direction for us to stop focusing so much on that and start focusing on people. So that's, that's a benefit from the situation. Um, and, and there are a lot of other benefits and there are a lot of other things that are really awful and horrible. And 
it's okay to admit that those things exist and to talk about that openly and freely. And I think that that's, that's a way that you build that trust. That's a way that you support people by acknowledging and, and speaking truth to that so that you, you can be okay with that. And, and I, and I think we're often afraid to say, this is how I really feel. And, you know, you should just go ahead and do that. And, you know, some people may not like it. Some people may love it and you can't control any of that. But if you're honest and you're open, then it's going to help other people feel like they can be honest and open as well. Yeah, I and, guess, and Jethro, Jethro, on my yeah. end, I think to wrap up uh, just a, a few final thoughts and I'm going to have to run. Um, I think when we look at it is whatever your role is, how do we connect with as many people like you to problem solve together? If I'm a principal and I don't have five, six, 10 principals outside my district and inside my district that are my go-tos and doing this together, like you're making your world far harder than it needs to be. You know, part of what I get to see on a global scale is networking and pulling uh, principals and superintendents together to help vision and plan some of this stuff. You are one mind and you are a brilliant mind, but if you're going at this alone, we're going to have blind spots and that's not anything condescending at all. It's just, it's really accurate in that network with as many people as you can that do similar to what you do to go at this together. So to ask these exact questions that we've been wrestling with here today, you know, what does this look like in third grade or what does this look like for our ELL population or our special ed population, whatever that might be um, because together we really are stronger for kids, but we can't forget to uh, take care of ourselves in that process. That is not selfish humanly. You need to be able to, do it and being remote being virtual does not mean you need to work 24 hours a day seven days a week in fact when you do that you're going to burn out so making sure you're setting boundaries for you for your family making sure you're disconnecting when you need to because that's certainly vital but keep the kids and our love for children at the heart of all of our decisions yeah absolutely um, I want to thank everybody who is here today uh, taking time out of your day this means a lot to me and to Tom we both appreciate that um, you guys are rock stars, and we, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, if you want to connect with myself or with Tom, you can follow Tom on Twitter at Thomas C. Murray. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones, and we'd love to connect with you. And if you have more questions, uh, send us a message, and we'll do our best to help you out because we just want to be here to support people. So thank you all so much for being here, and thank you for the questions, and I hope that you have a wonderful day. One day at a time, my friends. Go get it. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.